Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. You can follow along on the screen or just listen to me read. Just checking it's the right <laughs> scripture reference. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word. Soften our hearts that they might receive that word. Transform our wills that we might be people who do your word. Loosen our tongues that they might proclaim that word. And we ask this for the glory of your Son in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, he was a Roman citizen. Uh, but in his veins there was a blood that ran much richer than that. It was an ancient blood. A blood formed by God. Hebrew blood. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a holy man, uh, an untainted Jew, a preserver of the ancient heritage of Israel, committed to his ancestors' customs and laws from the day he was born. But he had enough of these sectarians, these Christians, these adulterers, as it were, who adulterated true religion. He had had enough of them. It was bad enough that they had let Samaritans and unclean outcasts share in the treasures of being God's people. It was worse. What was worse was that the, they promoted the most horrendous beliefs. They spoke of Jesus of Nazareth as a Messiah. And yet everyone knew that this Jesus was crucified. And even ordinary, untrained Jews know that messiahs don't die. And they certainly don't die on crosses at the hands of Romans. To hang on a cross, you see, is to be cursed by God. A crucified messiah is worse than a contradiction in terms. It's an outrageous blasphemy. And the perpetrators of such blasphemy, blasphemy must be sought out must be purged from God's people and he would do it. Friends, you all know this Paul. Um, you know that he began to cruelly persecute these early Christians. 
And you know that God, in his wonderful mercy, stopped him in his tracks, confronted him, rebuked him, taught him, transformed him, and the most zealous Pharisaic persecutor of Christians was changed by God into the most zealous Christian missionary. He was transformed into the most earnest pastor and teacher of God's early Gentile Christians. And today, we're going to explore more of one of his earliest letters. It is a passage rarely preached on, this one that we're going to look at today. I know, because when I looked through my list, I had never preached on it before, but preached on everything else. Um, it, it's magnificent, and it's helpful for us. Um, this passage is 1 Thessalonians 5, and I'm going to go from verses 12 through to 28. So follow with me in your Bible. It's a short passage, but let me tell you that it's a passage very rich in help for us as we try and live as God's people today. So please open your Bibles with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, and let's explore together what God has to teach us from this apostle today. Let's start at the beginning, uh, at verse 12. Paul's tone is respectful. Can you see what he says? Well, he, he asks the Thessalonians to be respectful as well, and he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Literally, he's asking these early Christians to have some respect, to show respect, to acknowledge the worth of their leaders. Then he gives them a threefold description. Can you see it there? They are leaders, these are leaders who work hard in their roles and their ministry. They are leaders who are over them in the Lord. That is that they have been given authority by God himself. They rule under his rule. They depend upon the Lord like they do. They are exercising his rule amongst his people. Presumably, they rule by self-giving, by sacrifice, in obedience to God the Father, in obedience to God the Son, shepherds who are under-shepherding under the major shepherd. Not greedy for money, he says, but eager to serve. Not lording it over others, but examples of godliness instead. Instructors, admonishers of God's flock. I want you to observe closely what Paul the Apostle is doing here. He's instructing the leaders of God's people, but he's also instructing his congregation members. Brothers and sisters in Christ, please listen and observe to what's going on. Though the Apostle, through the Apostle Paul, God is telling us how to live as members of Christian community. That's what he's doing here. God has given us leaders, you see, and we know their worth and we are to respect them, and we are to hold them in high regard and love them. It's not that they are greater than us, no, no, not, not at all that. No, it is that God has given them to work among his people. It is God's work, essentially, that is being done by them, and we are to respect both God and them, loving what they do for the sake of God's church, not undermining them, but rather loving them and loving what they do for Christ's church. It's a wonderful picture. So friends, today, sisters and brothers in Christ, will you do this with your pastors as well? 
This is the first thing that Paul urges the people of God in Thessalonica to do. They're to be distinctively Christian in their attitudes to those whom God has appointed to leadership over the church of Christ here. Not undermining them, no, rather being Christian, being Christian toward them. Now, look at verses 14 and 15. It's a striking, these verses are striking verses. Paul addresses the whole congregation and he urges the Thessalonian Christians to be united in not being idlers. In fact, he urges them to warn the idol. It's a striking thing for a pastor to be doing, isn't he? He Say, don't slack around, basically. He warns them. He urges the disruptive in their church and, he, uh, and to encourage or comfort the disheartened and the, he urges them to com- comfort the disheartened and the weak. I think that means the spiritually weak in the midst. I think he means spiritually weak people in need of help, people who need to be strengthening each other. And verse 14 adds another element. Can you see it there? We are to be patient with everyone. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 and other places in the New Testament emphasise this and it needs to be emphasised. Patience, you see patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Having patience for other Christians can often be difficult. If you've never found that, then you're a very unusual Christian. (laughs) Christians are to be characterised by patience for everyone. They are to be full of grace, full of kindness, full of patience. But there's more. Look at verse 15 here. Paul urges the Thessalonian Christians to not be pagans, that is, to not pay back wrong for right or right for wrong. No, the language is clear. God's people are not to be vengeful, to not hold grudges, to not be bitter. Instead, as verse 15 says, we Christians are to be filled with Christ-likeness, to be filled with love, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. Now I want you to look at verses 16 to 18. We're skimming through this tonight, but that's okay. In these verses, the Apostle Paul urges us to be Christians where it matters so much. There are three things he emphasises here. Can you see them? First, he urges us to be joyful. He says, rejoice always. And well, he might urge this. After all, in Christ, we have so much, don't we? Let's rejoice in it. That's the first thing that in these verses, be joyful. The second is to be prayerful continually. Look at verse 17. Prayer expresses that God is the one who matters the most. Isn't that what you do when you turn to God in prayer? You say, God, only you can sort this out. He is central in life. And being prayerful expresses that. So he says, be joyful, be prayerful. But there's more. Can you see it there? Look at verse 18. Paul urges the Thessalonian Christians and us to give thanks in all circumstances. Sisters, brothers in Christ, God has loved us enormously in his son. Because of his love for us, he sent his son into the world And his son went, and his son came, and his son gave his life for us. 
He loved us deeply. As a result, we know that he is sovereign and loving. His death on the cross made that clear. God is for us. And having seen and experienced his love, we are to overflow with love ourselves. And that is possible in Christ Jesus because we have the same spirit. His spirit dwells in us if we're Christian. But let me explain some more. So friends, the thanks we offer to God are not simply for our circumstances in life. Oh God, thanks that everything's going all right. No, our thanks is for our Lord and for what he has so generously given us in the sacrifice of his own life on the cross, hung on a cross in public display for our sin. So the thanks that we offer to God is not simply for circumstances in life, which is so often what happens in our prayer meetings, I think. No, our thanks is for our Lord and for what he's so generously given us in his sacrifice. Look at verse 17, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We Christians thank God because whatever our circumstances are, they are found in the presence of Christ and Christ has been there before us. Our God is for us. Our God in Christ is working for our good. As Romans 28, 28 says, our God is committed to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In Christ, he is for us. In Christ, he's working out his great purposes in his world. These purposes are for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8 verse 28. These purposes are grounded in Christ and through Christ alone. Now let's turn to verses 19 to 22. It's wonderfully packed with five commands. Can you see them there? Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. That's a pretty packed list, isn't it? <laughs> now, it may be that all five of these instructions are linked to prophetic gifts and prophecy and so on. And Paul says similar things to this elsewhere in his writings. But basically, he's urging his readers to test everything and to not restrict God's word being announced. Let God speak. Let God's will be done. Do what God would have done. Say what God would have said in this situation. Sisters and brothers in Christ, we have nearly come to the end of this wonderful passage. It's only a short one today, isn't it? But look at verses 23 and 24 with me. Paul prays for them. Earlier he prayed for them to be established in the faith. But here, he prays for deep, true spiritual grounding and attitudes. Look at his prayer. Read it with me, he says. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Do you see where everything's grounded? 
and a faithful God who is for us. Paul is praying for complete sanctification of these believers. He's confident in God that God will do it. He's confident in God's sanctification of God's people. He's confident in God himself. Confident in God's favour toward his people. Knowing that he is all for his people. How can he be so confident? Well, the passage itself says why and how. Can you see it there? It says that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Can you see what he's saying? He's saying, do you know why this will happen? Because unlike us, God is faithful. He keeps relationships. He keeps people. Soak it in, friends. The God who calls us is the true and mighty God. The God of all the earth. He's faithful and he can do it. And in the light of this, Paul finishes with those grand words. Look at them, listen to them, trust them. For they are the word of God and they can be trusted. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And it will be, for God is faithful. Amen. Friends, this sermon today has been very short, hasn't it? Relatively speaking, I suppose. But it's been full of key elements of Christian faith. It's just packed, isn't it? Can I urge you this week to read the passage each day and soak it up? Soak it up. These words are solid. These words are reliable. These are from the God of all the earth who sent his son into the world to die for us, allowed him to pay the cost. He can be trusted and his word can be trusted. He is faithful and true. The great God of all the world, the only true God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today for this packed passage full of truth. And uh, Father, we pray that we might trust you for we know that you have gone the whole way with your son and that through him we can be made right with you. Thank you that you are the great God of all the world, the only true God, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.